Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. We are blessed at Matthew's Table to be led in worship each and every week. And as they were singing, raise a hallelujah, I thought about this John Piper quote. It says, uh, until you realize life is war, then you don't know what prayer is for. And sometimes we mistakenly just wake up and go out and, you know, we mistakenly just do things and go on about our days. And we don't realize that life is war. We don't realize that there's spiritual warfare. We don't realize the enemy is trying to take us out. And if you did, if you knew the attacks against you, against your family, we would spend a lot more time on our knees. We would spend a lot more time in worship. So I'm just thankful that we have a worship team that leads us each and every week and reminds us of truth that, hey, raise a hallelujah in the presence of your enemies. Like, raise a hallelujah despite the unbelief. And I know, like, even preparing for this sermon, like, the whole time, like, I had this sick feeling of, like, Nick, it's no good. Nick, you know, maybe you should change a few things. Nick, you know, um, you've struggled this week, you know, you and your wife have argued more than you usually have. Like, who are you to be up there uh, giving this sermon? But that's where, like, I just love, like, raise a hallelujah despite, like, truth, truth. Uh, we need to drown out lies with truth. Like, God is good despite what's going on in my life, despite what's going on in your life. And we can praise him in the storm. We can praise him when life is good. We can praise him each and every day. And I just want, like, it's a blessing to be able to come and worship and have the freedom to worship. Like, I see videos of in China where they're confiscating Bibles, where people have to go in underground to uh, have church, where they have to go in basements just to congregate, congregate. And we have the freedom each and every Sunday to come here and praise God. Like, you think if we're under persecution now, like, we're not. Like, they literally have to live in danger of getting their head cut off if they proclaim in Jesus. And I just wonder, like, what's going to happen if that ever comes to America? Like, are we still going to raise a hallelujah then? Like, are we still going to trust God then? Are we still going to believe God then? I sure hope so. And, I've, and if you're new here, like I've been praying all week that you would come to know God in a real way. I've been praying that you would come to know God, not just in the head, but in the heart. It's a big difference to know about God and to know God. Like it's a big difference to, a big difference to just sing songs and then to know who you're singing them to. Like to know how great he is and how holy he is and how big he is. Like when we learn about God more, when we study God more, we can just see how just awesome it is that a big and holy God that created everything wants something to do with Nick Martin. Like that is mind-blowing that a God created the universe, the stars, the skies, wants something to do with me. A God that's dropped the ball more than once a guy that stumbles along the way, 
The God of the universe knows my name. He calls me by name, and he calls you by name. You haven't went too far for God's grace. Despite what the enemy's telling you, God has more forgiveness than you have sin. You haven't went too far for his love. I'm trusting that he brought you here today for a reason. I'm trusting that he's uh, working on your heart because I know, like, I can look back, like, despite how I was living, when I was in prison, I can see God's handprints and footprints around me the whole time. Like, it's not just when I got my life together that I started seeing God working. I seen God working on me from a young age, like him placing people in my life. And, I, and I'm trusting that if he brought you here today, it's by no accident. If you're new here, fill out a connect card. We would love to connect with you. We would love to say hi to you. Roger would love to take you to Red Lobster. <laughs> if you're paying. No. Nah. <laughs> but we would love to really just say hi to you and welcome you to Matthew's table. We have our commitment class right in between service. It'll be in this first class in the hallway. It's called the parlor room. So if you're wanting to commit to Matthew's table, we would love to have you join our family. Like we are a family here, sometimes dysfunctional, but we are family. And it's just amazing to see, you know, and to have a family that prays together and a family that loves each other and a family that knows one another. And you may not know this right now, but there are people intentionally praying for everyone in this room. There are people intentionally praying for you and your prayer request. There are people on their knees crying out to God for you. Because again, life is war. And if you have any prayer requests ever, there's a jar over here and you can write them down and place them in the jar and you can know that people are praying for your prayer requests. So if your marriage is struggling, write that on there. Like I need all the prayer I can get. I need people praying for me and my family and my daughter every day. Because again, the, the world will yell lies at my daughter. I need people praying for her. Hey, I need people pointing her to truth. I need people loving her to, uh, enough to hit their knees for my daughter. And the last thing is we're, we're still collecting bags of candy for our Easter outreach. So there's a box by the back door right back there. And we're collecting these uh, like bags, I don't know, uh, assortment bags for Easter. So if you can bring a few bags, that would uh, extremely help us in our Easter outreach. And I'm going to pray and then um, we can dive into the message. Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you for everyone here. I thank you that despite what the enemy tells us, you love us, you know us, you see us, you hear us. I thank you for your grace and mercy that you died on the cross for sinners. I thank you that you love the woman at the well. I thank you that you love the tax collector. I thank you that despite Peter denying you, you didn't push him away, but you ran closer to him. I pray that you open ears and hearts this morning. In Christ's name, amen. If y'all didn't know this, because you sure can't tell now, 
a year or two ago, I started this thing called the keto diet. If you don't know what the keto diet is, it's where you basically try to rid your body of carbs and you try to put your body in what my doctor would call ketosis. What happens in that ketosis and why a lot of people like the keto diet is you can lose a lot of weight pretty fast. And as I, I started the diet a year or two ago, I lost 30 pounds pretty quickly. And as I continued to diet, the weight just kept falling off. I did great. I was focused. I wouldn't drink a soda. I wouldn't eat any sweets. And I never imagined that I would stop doing it with the results that I was seeing. At one time, I thought I was the keto expert. So much that people started asking me for recipes. They would start calling and asking for tips. And I would share my before and after picture on Facebook. Maybe it'll be on the screen. But I would share, maybe not. But maybe you've seen them. There you go. A look suave. <laughs> but it was really motivating like to keep up with the progress and to see where it was headed. Like it was really motivating to get compliments because again, I honestly started out really, really, really good. I wouldn't have any cheat days or a cheap meal. I was focused all the way in. You couldn't tell me nothing. I bought a pair of skinny jeans or two. I was gonna run a 5K and I was on my way to finally looking like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> so what happened? How could someone doing so good, someone seeing the results, someone who felt better than ever, go back and gain the weight again? It's frustrating to think about as I've been in the gym this year because I was within four pounds of my goal weight. I remember one day being at Mexican and I was just like, I can have the chips and salsa now. I'm close to my goal weight. I can go ahead and have a snack cake now. I can go ahead and reward myself. After all, even if I gain a few pounds, I can kick it up a notch anytime I want. I would go to the doctor and he would have these posters on the wall for every 20 pounds that you lost. I signed the 20 pound poster like it wasn't nothing. It was like my first visit. Yeah, that was easy. I signed the 41 the next month. And I just knew I was gonna keep going until I reached the 100 pound poster. I knew it with everything in me. I was motivated like never before, but here's the thing. If you seen the 20 pound poster, there were signatures everywhere. You could barely find a spot to put your name. And if you've seen the 40-pound poster, there was a lot, but not as many as the 20. And if you made your way all the way to the 100-pound poster, there was only like two or three signatures. But I knew with everything in me, I was like, my, my name is going to be on that 100-pound poster. Despite the great start, as you can tell, I didn't make it. Despite the desire to, I gave up. And maybe it's not a diet for you, 
but maybe it's sobriety. You start out real good. You promise yourself and your kids there will never be a time again, and you found yourself stumbled. Maybe it's a sin you struggle with. Sometimes you beat it, and other times it seems to beat you. Maybe you're here this morning and you think, why should I even try this church thing again? Why should I even try? I was on fire. I was ready to storm the gates of hell. And now everyone knows that I messed up. Everyone knows the real me. Why even do it? Why even show up? Why even pretend? What you're facing today isn't anything new. The first thing I want to tell you is you are not alone. In our text this morning, Paul asked the Galatians the same exact question. What happened? You were running so well. You were like a sprinter out of the blocks. You were doing so great. You were posting your progress. You were proud of that sobriety chip. You were in church every week. You were believing the true gospel. What happened? What took your eyes off of Jesus? What swayed you from the truth? How come you don't have that same fire? If you found yourself at that place today in one way or another, I've been there, and again, I tell you, you are not alone. The enemy would love to tell you, you're alone. Nobody gets it. You're on an island by yourself. Why even try? The enemy's going to scream those lies at you. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you turned back. But I'm here to tell you, despite anybody pretending, you are never alone. If you find yourself doubting, would Christ even want anything to do with me after I stumbled, after I tripped up, after I fell, I want you to know that he does. We drop the ball, he doesn't. We trip and stumble, he is secure. We fail, Christ never will. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 through 15. Paul is again reminding the people of Galatia that true freedom is found in Christ, in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7 through 15. Verse 7. You were running well. It's past it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. And I got a video I want you to see. From the 12, Jones keeps, gets a block, takes off, and he is gone. Trying to stay upright, and he trips. Absolutely all alone, and he trips. My wife doesn't know anything about football, and she knows that something crazy happened in that video. She couldn't tell you who the Cowboys and the Redskins were, but she would be able to tell you, man, that guy shouldn't have just tripped. Something foolish happened. And if you was watching, the announcer was ready to celebrate the touchdown. Their quarterback was about to score from 80 yards out, and then out of nowhere, to everyone's amazement, he trips and he falls. I'm sure like the rest of the world, his teammates was wondering what in the world just happened. You should have made it. You were running so well. We practiced and prepared all week for this exact moment. We called the perfect play. Everything was going smooth. And out of nowhere, another one bites the dust. If you're wondering, if you haven't caught on to how this relates this morning, we'll read verse 7 again. You were running so well. You were running so well. Who or what hindered you from obeying the truth? Let me repeat that. You were running so well. You got off to a fast start. You were like a track athlete jumping out of the blocks. You were hitting your stride. You were at every Bible study. You were at church every time the doors opened up. People started asking you to give your testimony. You were a year clean. You were on fire. You were running so well. If, you ha if you've been to church long enough, I'm sure that you've witnessed this. I'm sure that you've seen this. You were running so well. What happens? What happened? 15 years sober to drinking again? You were leading the prayer. Now you don't pray. You were going to small church. Now you don't have time. You was telling everyone that you know about Jesus. Now you're back to using again. You was giving your testimony. Now you're back in jail. You were a sponsor. You were in Friends of Sinners. Your family was letting you come back around. Now they shut you out again. What happened? You were running so well. Before you look around and wonder who I'm talking to, ask God, how does this pertain to me? What area was you running so well in? What ministry did God tell you to get involved in? Is your Bible collecting dust on the shelf? Do you still have that same fire as when you first took off? Is Christ still first in your life? We all have different stories this morning and different paths. But the first thing I'm going to tell you, despite how you're running, is 
God is faithful. Despite how you're running, God is faithful. The second thing, despite how you're running this morning, God is forgiving. The third thing is, he ran the race well because he knew we couldn't. Nick Martin drops the ball. Nick Martin stumbles and falls. And because we are prone to do that, we need to be reminded of truth and we need to be reminded of grace. When God radically transformed my life, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was at every church service. I was in every prayer meeting. I was texting my friends. I was telling strangers. I would just invite anyone and everyone to church that I seen. I was in my Bible every day. I was crying out for lost family members. When you hear about people being on fire, I've experienced that. My marriage was falling apart in that same season, but you couldn't tell me that God wasn't with me. I started meeting with a group of men at 6 a.m., and I just wanted more of Jesus. I wanted to spend more time with him. I wanted to know more about him because I had never experienced this type of freedom before. I got hired at Friends of Sinners. We started Matthew's Table, and on the outside, it looked like I was headed in the perfect direction. The problem that I've seen, though, is that my schedule started getting busier, and before I knew it, I was spending more time with everyone else and less time with Jesus. I was spending more time talking about God than talking to God. I was spending more time worried about what everyone else was or wasn't doing and less time focused on what God was or wasn't doing. I was running so well. You were running so well. What happened? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? If you've ever seen a scary movie as they're running away, I'm sure you wanted to yell out, don't turn around. Don't look back. You don't belong there anymore. Quit looking back. Quit turning back. There's nothing behind you but the enemy. Quit looking back, because when you look back, you will trip and fall. Quit looking back and keep running ahead. Run as hard as you can after the truth. Run as hard as you can after Jesus. And when you can't run, walk, or crawl, know that he is running after you. The enemy loves a distracted church. The enemy loves when we take our gaze off of Jesus. The enemy loves a false gospel, watered-down Christianity. Verse 8 and verse 9, this persuasion, this thing that has stopped you from running well, this thing that has taken your eyes off of truth is not from, the one, uh, from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. We've said this over and over as we walk through Galatians. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't add to the gospel. We don't take away from the gospel. Jesus is enough and will always be enough. A false gospel is no gospel. It's not Jesus plus prosperity. It's not Jesus plus works. And Paul is telling them again, look, 
It's not Jesus plus circumcision. I'm going to put it this way. What if I told you 70 truths and 30 lies? Would you still believe me? What if I broke the law 30% of the time and, and I was uh, good 70% of the time? Would I still be innocent? What if I found your wallet, it had $1,000 in it, and I wanted to be partly good, so I gave you back 700 Would you still call me honest? You wouldn't, because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little lie is still a lie. A little gossip is still gossip. And bending or adding to the truth just makes it partly true. Leaven is like gossip or fake news on social media. It goes around and around until you don't even really know if it's true or not. How leaven works is you would place a little bit of, in a batch of dough, and it's like a baking powder that would cause the dough to expand and rise. The leaven doesn't just stay in one spot. It works its way through it. Paul is saying, this isn't just some small thing to ignore because it's going to work its way through it. One lie leads to a hundred lies. Small sin leads to a web of sin. And false truth, if not dealt with, will work its way all the way through. I've heard people say this. Nick, the prosperity gospel isn't that bad. That's a lie. The prosperity gospel is demonic. People, places are full of people being led astray, chasing feeling instead of truth, and lying to people, telling them there's a bunch of ways to heaven when there is and always will be just one. Paul has harsh words for people that spread a false gospel because he knows it spreads like poison. He knows it's going to work its way through. And here's what he says to those people in verse 12. I wish those who would uh, unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Without me going into detail, I'm sure you know what that means. The problem wasn't that Paul was saying to believe in Jesus. The problem was that, hey, we need to believe in Jesus and get circumcised. We need to believe in Jesus and follow rituals. To them, it couldn't be just Jesus. To me, and hopefully to you, there's nothing better. It's Jesus plus nothing, and it always will be Jesus plus nothing. If you're asking me this morning, how do I get to heaven? Jesus. How do we get freedom? Jesus. What can wash away sins? Jesus. I'm telling you this this morning. Sobriety is a great thing. Jesus is far greater. Signs and wonders are awesome. Jesus is the real sign and wonder. John 8, 32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Truth is Jesus. He says, I am the way. He doesn't say I am one way. He doesn't say I'm one of many ways. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Matthew's table. Christ is and always will be the only way.
All we have at Matthew's table is Jesus. We don't have a, a five-point plan and a promotion package. All we have when you come here is Jesus. We don't try to sell you anything else. Church is fun. Your kids are going to have a blast. All we have is Jesus, and that's what we're hanging our hat on. If you want something else, there's a hundred other churches. We're going to stay and put our mark on Jesus and believe in him. We believe in the finished work of the cross. We believe he rose again on the third day. We believe that the Bible is 100% true. We don't pick parts out of the Bible that we like and overlook the rest. We don't try to twist the Bible for our benefit. We don't try to run around the hard, hard subjects. I have truth as a whole lie. If I can't trust all of the Bible, then how do I trust some of the Bible? I can't say, ooh, I don't like that right there. Take that out. It's in the Bible. If I'm going to trust that Jesus died for me, then I need to trust the whole entire Bible because it's God's inspired word. That's why universalism, the many ways to heaven, is a lie. That's why there's a lot of paths to him is a lie. That's why trusting in yourself is a lie. That's why the prosperity gospel is a lie. Bizzle puts it this way. If you study the lie, then they'll just make more lies up. If you study the truth, you can see when the lie comes. If you study the lie, they'll make more lies up. If you study the truth, then you can see when the lie comes. That's why we always point you, hey, get into your Bible. That's why we point you, get into a small church. That's why we say, hey, get plugged in. Because in a world that will tell you lies, it needs to be drowned out with truth. The world, like I said earlier, will yell, will yell lies at your kids. They will, they will yell lies at you all day long. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I shouldn't be singing. I shouldn't be giving my testimony. And that needs to be drowned out with truth. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. That he has confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whatever it is. Paul had a hope in the truth in the Galatians returning to it. Notice that Paul's confidence wasn't in his abilities. Notice that Paul's confidence wasn't in himself. It was in God. He says, Galatians, you were running so well. I seen it with my own eyes. I seen how you started loving Jesus. I seen how you was following after truth. Now you are confused. Now you are veering away. Now you're drifting. And Paul sets the example of what truth and grace stands for. Notice that he didn't just ignore the lie. Notice that he didn't just say, well, it's not that bad. They still kind of believe in Jesus. They still partly believe in truth. Notice he didn't just let them drift away. Verses 7 through 12 is truth. Hey, you were running well. That's truth. You were running well. That probably stung. Like, what do you mean? I'm still trying. And he says, no, you were running well. You've turned back. You believed in a different gospel. 
in verses 13 through 15 are grace, where he says, return to the freedom you have in him. You were running well, but now return to the freedom you have in him. Through love, then serve one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Warren Worsby puts it like this. Truth without love is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth without love is brutality. It just beats people down. Love without truth, though, is hypocrisy. Like if I'm in sin, I want you to love me enough to call me, but I want you to be graceful enough not to give up on me. I don't need you to condemn me. I don't need to call you and say, hey, I'm in sin. And you say, what an idiot, Nick. I can't believe that you turn from the truth. The enemy does a good enough job at that every day. I don't need my brothers and sisters in Christ adding that fuel to the fire. When we're wise, we can know, hey, there's truth and there's grace. Like, I want to be truthful enough to tell you, hey, you are a sinner. But I want to be graceful enough to tell you that there's a Savior. I want to be truthful enough to tell you you're drifting, but graceful enough to tell you that I've been there before too to put your eyes back on Jesus. A big mistake that churches can make is we think we're a, a huddle for the saint and forget that we're a hospital for the sinner. That's a big mistake that we can make is we think that, man, once they're in church, they, they're getting it all together. They ain't going to stumble and fall. They ain't going to trip. But if you've been in church long enough, you'll know that's a lie. You'll know we still need Jesus just as much, whether we're 10 years in or whether we're one day in. In case you thought this, Christianity isn't following a bunch of rules. It's following the ruler. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to the table. You come to the table because he'll clean you up. We don't need to check IDs at the door and, and get your background in history because I know just as well as you know, we are all sinners in need of God's grace. Whether you struggle with lust, a lot or a little, whether you struggle with pride, whether you've killed someone, whether you've been in addiction 20 years, whether you just stumbled and fell on your way to church, we are all in need of Jesus. We all need to be set free. We all desperately need him. I am not an exception from that list. I need Jesus every day, every hour, every minute. Because the world screams those same lies at me. The world tells me, Nick, you're worthless. Christ tells me I'm worth it. The world tells me I'm useless, but Christ made me useful. The world tells me I'm hopeless, but Christ gave me hope. Here's some good news. Christ doesn't call me a felon. He calls me his son. Christ doesn't call me a cheater. He calls me forgiven. When it says he forgets your sin from the east to the west, that's what he means. He forgets your sin to the east to the west. He's not, yeah, you should be praising God for that. That's huge. Here it is. Christ saved me, is saving me, and will save me in the end. It wasn't just 
that Christ saved me and I was perfected, Christ is perfecting me. He's making me look more like him. My hope is not in whether I trip or fall. My hope is in that he didn't. Your hope shouldn't be in your performance. It should be in that he performed it all for you. If you think you lost your salvation because you were running well when you tripped, you need to know that you didn't do anything to earn your salvation in the first place. Spurgeon says the only thing that you added to your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Philippians 1.6 doesn't say when you trip, he leaves you there. It doesn't say when you don't perform well, he's done. It says, and I am sure of this. I am confident in this. You can take this to the bank. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that he might if you're good enough. It says he will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's good news. Man, there's no better news than that. And you can stop trusting in your own abilities, your own good works, and your own perfection. You are not the standard. You are not the one that has it all together and all of us are screwed up. If we are, we're hit. The gospel of Jesus, Jesus plus nothing would say, lay down whatever imaginary righteousness and obedience that you think you have and embrace the righteousness and obedience that you know he has. Freedom is not found in your ability, but his. Like, do you know how freeing it is that Christ saved me in spite of me? That he saved me in spite of my imperfections? Do you know how freeing it is that no matter how low you think you've been, that he offers grace and mercy? Do you realize how freeing it is that you don't have to be the standard because he is? I'm going to read verse 13 slowly so you can soak it in. For, we, for you were called to freedom. For you were called to freedom, brothers. You were running well. You started out sprinting. You were on fire. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or for yourself, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're free, then be free. Love one another. Show grace to one another. Christ gave us that freedom. Like, I don't have to read the Bible. I get to read the Bible. I don't have to go to small church. I get to go to small church. I don't have to give my tithe. I get to give my tithe. It's a big difference when you worship because you have to and when you worship because you get to. Like, when I worship because I thought I had to because people might be looking, I was like, Praise the hallelujah. And I was like, man, I hope they didn't see me with my hand up. I'm a little bit too hard for that. But when I worship because I get to, because when I know what he's done, when I know that he's big, man, it's I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemy because I believe that. 
And I seen it this morning. I, I woke up and all I heard was somebody singing in my basement. It was Jessica Lee. And she and I knew it was gonna be a good day. It was, take me to the king. I was like, whoo! She was singing it with everything in her. I was like, dang, she's trying to go to the king this morning. And I just knew, like, there's a difference in, well, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to sit still. I'm going to do the church thing. And then I realized what God has done for me, and that's pure worship. Like, we don't have to serve one another. We get to serve one another. There was a good example of that this past week as we was going through the snowstorm. Um, we had called people. We were trying to get estimates on who could do the parking lot, who could do the stairs. And we got somebody. But before we could uh, make it here, Rob showed up, and OJ was already shoveling the snow off the stairs. Nobody asked OJ to do that. He showed up and was like, man, I'm going to shovel the uh, snow for my church because I want to have church. That's I get to instead of I have to. That's amazing to see that example. It's such a beautiful thing to see people that clean behind the scenes. People that sometimes don't get any credit for what they do. They only hear the bad when it's a mess. When it's clean, they'll never hear, man, who, who cleaned this? It's awesome. It looks good because they do it because they want to do it. People that drive the vans, people on media, people on worship, people in the prayer room praying, people in kids' table, that's loving one another because we want to. Buena Vista gave us this building. That's loving each other. That's the kingdom being bigger than our kingdom. So when it's all about myself and my desires and my lust and my temptations and my plans and my goals, then I'm just a slave to building my own kingdom. But if it's all about God and his kingdom, then we can put our differences aside and we can love one another. We can come together like I can, you can love hymns and I can love Christian rap and that's okay. You can wear a suit and tie and I wear a show love hoodie, and that's okay. You can read from King James, and I read from ESV, and that's okay. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and the enemy would love for us to follow through with verse 15. He would love to, for us to be distracted by our differences. He loves when we pit ourselves against one another. Read what verse 15 says and notice the difference between 13 and 14. If you don't love one another, if you don't serve one another, if you don't love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. How does this happen? How does a church that once loved each other split into two? That takes us back to a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. A little gossip gets in and starts to divide, and it starts to work its way through. A little envy gets in and it starts to divide and starts to work its way through. False gospel gets in and it devours. It's about our flag instead of his flag. In Galatia, there were those on one hand 
That was like, no, Paul. It is Jesus, but it's Jesus plus circumcision. And they were standing firm. This is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. We've always done it this way, and this is the way we're always going to do it. It was hard to accept just Jesus because they had seen their dad do it this way, and they had seen their grandpa do it this way, and they had seen their great-grandpa do it the same way. And before you think it's crazy that they couldn't let go, no, churches have divided over even less. Churches have divided over, I don't like the way they worship. Churches have divided over the pastor having a tattoo. Churches have divided over, I can't believe that God's given his testimony. So now instead of the united church, we have the divided church, and we got white churches, black churches, old churches, young churches, when our focus is always beyond being a biblical church. How do we look like heaven, live like heaven, and love like heaven? We do that by being reminded of whose we are, the freedom we have in him, loving each other, and taking that love to a lost and broken world. Like the world should be in amazement of how the church loves one another. We are not in competition with Pleasant Valley. We are not in competition with OCC. We are not in competition with 4th Street Baptists. We should be looking forward to the day when Baptists and Pentecostals worship together. We should be looking forward to the day when blacks and whites worship together, where old and young worship together. And if we want to look like heaven as a church, we really could start doing that now. We really could stop saying, well, if we do something with the Pentecostals, they might get a little bit crazy. We can stop saying, well, if we do this with that church, they might get a little bit wild. If you think you're going to go to heaven and it's going to be all your Matthew's table people, you're sadly mistaken. We are his church, Jesus' church, and it's going to look completely different than you think it's going to look. You're going to be in amazement. I've heard this quote. You're going to be in amazement of who you think shouldn't be there. You're going to be like, man, you made it? When you should be saying, I can't believe I made it. We should never be looking at, well, man, I seen what he did. He stumbled and fell. And forget all the times that you stumbled and fell yourself. You know how you trip when you were running well? An easy way is when you look to the left. When you're running, and I ain't going to run, but... When you're running and you look to the left and you look to the right and you look behind, that's a sure way to fall. We've seen it. Whether in scary movies, it seems like it's in slow motion. You really want to yell out, man, don't look back. He's right behind you. And whether you believe this or not, the enemy is always right behind you. You think it's a little sin, and he's trying to take your head off. You think it's a little lie until it created a thousand more. A little leaven works its way through the whole lump. You become a slave to the sin that you now have to hide. You become a slave to your own desires. 
while your gaze is somewhere off of Jesus, the enemy is trying to take you out. He's trying to destroy your witness, and he would love you to think it really isn't that bad. A lot of the times that's because we can see the big thing coming. If we're in a war, we can see the army tank rolling up and know, man, I need to stay away from that thing. That thing's trying to kill me. I need to run away from that. And if we're in war and we see an airplane coming, then we know that I need to stay away from that airplane that's trying to kill me. But while our focus is on the tank and the airplane, we forget about the landmine that's underneath. And then we start walking a little bit to the left, and boom, the landmine goes off and it takes you out. We start walking a little bit to the right, and the landmine takes you out. That's because sin took you further than you wanted to go. It kept you longer than you wanted to stay and made you pay a price more than you wanted to pay. I want you to know this. Conviction does cost, but compromise costs far more. Conviction costs, but compromise always costs far more. That's why we always tell you, you need people around you that tell you the truth. You need people around you that hold you accountable. You need people around you that point you back to Jesus. You go from you were running well to you are running well when you fix your eyes back on him. We love one another when we abide in the love of Christ. We show grace to one another when we abide in the grace that he has for us. It's a beautiful thing to be in community. It's a good thing to be proactive because in marriage, I can promise you this, landmines are coming. They're trying to take your marriage out. Landmines are always right there on the left. It's trying to take me and Jonna out. It's trying to destroy my family. A landmine is always right there that I better be paying attention to. I better be watching out for. I better be proactive. I better have my eyes on Jesus because it's trying to destroy me. It's trying to destroy my family. In life, if you didn't know this, landmines are coming. They're trying to take you out. They're trying to destroy your witness. You think it's just a little sin until it takes your head off and then you wonder, what happened? I was running so well. In church, landmines are coming. It's trying to destroy Matthew's table. You will be a fool to think the spiritual warfare isn't always going on. You will be a fool to think we're not in war. You will be a fool to think we're not always in battle. The enemy is trying to take you out. If he can destroy your witness, he can destroy so much more. If he can take you out, he can take your whole family out. Because a lost and broken world is watching you. You're a representation of Jesus. We're a representation of Jesus to a lost and broken world. And it's not because we're perfect. We're not perfect. When we stumble and fall, when we hit the landmine, that's why we need a church around us to say, man, I'm going to help you get back up. I'm going to focus your eyes back on Jesus when you don't even feel like it. I'm going to be in your inbox when you don't feel like it. I'm going to be calling you when you don't feel like it. I'm going to hold you accountable when you don't feel like it. There is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There is no such thing as doing church by yourself. The enemy would love for you to unplug. That's we must, we must fight to be in community. 
We must fight to worship together, to be together. And whether that's through Zoom call, whether that's through FaceTime, whether that's in the building, we must fight to stay loving each other. The worst place you can be when a landmine goes off is in a field by yourself gazing at something else. I don't know about you, but something is always trying to take my eyes off of Jesus. Something is always trying to destroy me. I'll get on Twitter for a second, and man, I'll be looking for a verse. And just something will take my eyes off, and the next thing you know, I've been on Twitter for three hours. Whether it's Twitter for you, or Facebook, or busyness, or pride, something is always fighting for your attention. They did a study at a college that shows we now pick up our phone 2,700 times a day. In the same study, they showed we will spend an average of two hours on social media a day. In the same study, they said our kids will spend between seven to ten years of their life on a phone. But I wanted to ask us, what if we prayed half as much as that? What if we worship half as much? What if we picked up our Bibles half as much? I've seen Roger share this. What if we believed the Bible like we believe what the Internet says? Then we probably wouldn't have to pray for revival because we would probably have revival. We waste so much of our lives on uselessness. You want a life that counts? You spend it pursuing Jesus. You want a life that counts? You spend it abiding in Jesus. He gives hope to the hopeless. He's a friend to the sinner. He sets the slaves free. Freedom, true freedom, can only be found in him. We must repent. As a church, we must repent. That means to turn from our sin and turn back to him. He calls us to holiness. He calls us to seek him. I want you to close your eyes for a second and ask him for a moment. Jesus, I was on fire. What happened? Where did my fire go? What are the distractions that I need to cut out in my life? How do I get back to the place where I am running well? Church, it starts with being intentional. Open up the word of God. Spend time in his presence and meditate on what he did on the cross. Eternity is forever. And I got family members that if I love them like I say I love them, then I would put down my phone and get on my knees and pray for their salvation. I would be on my knees instead of uh, messing around with meaningless things. The bad news is we trip and fall. The better news is we serve a God who doesn't. Where did my fire go? Where did your fire go? We serve a God despite how we run, he's faithful. Despite how we run, he hears our prayers. We serve a God who gives us true freedom. If you've never experienced freedom, pray to God. Run to Jesus. There'll be people that would love to pray for you. They'll come up and pray for you. 
raise your hand, somebody will pray for you. But ultimately, you can know, you can pray to God yourself. You don't know the words to say. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to give me that fire back. I need you to give me that desire back. I can't conjure up a feeling. I can't conjure up, man, I just want to be on fire. That comes from within. That comes from what He gives me. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from spending time in Him. It comes from spending time in truth. Because the world will yell lies, I need to be spending more time in truth. Make no mistake about it. True freedom can only be found in one man, one king, one savior, one Lord, one place, and his name is Jesus. In a world that will yell lies, run to truth because he is right there. Let's worship. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.